0: Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me. Are you hosts gathered here? <laughs> Kill everyone now. Condone first degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit.
1: Well, I think we're about ready.
0: Quiet, everyone. Felt my politics. Felt is my life.
2: From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell,
0: Welcome to Astro Radio Z.
2: Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z, folks. We have two, count them, two episodes left of our Andy Milligan series. Today, we're going to be talking about monstrosity and the weirdo. We are moving out of the New York City East Coast era of Andy Milligan and into the tailspin end of Andy Milligan's life on the West Coast when he picked all his shit up and moved to L.A., How did that affect his filmmaking? Well, you'll just have to stick around and find out what we think of Monstrosity and the Weirdo. And if you knew anything about this podcast and have been following it for the last year, you will have known that my guest, Vaughn, has already drugged me onto his podcast, Motion Picture Massacre, to talk about the fucking Weirdo. Yeah. So we're podcasting again about this shitty gimmick.
3: Yeah.
2: Vaughn, speak for yourself. Why are we doing this to ourselves?
3: Why? I don't. And this is this. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, it's just uh, <laughs> to, uh, I hate this movie. <laughs> so we talk about <laughs> are you, can you hear
2: it, folks? Are you, can you hear the excitement in Vaughn's voice? We are just forcing ourselves. I think this this is what this whole series is, is just us being masochists at this point. To finish out this fucking filmography of Andy Milligan. We've read half of the book. We've watched almost everything he's, well, at least everything that you can find of his. And uh, Evan, I know at the beginning of this, when we started talking and I brought you on the first episode, you were slightly excited to go into this now that we're in the last the home stretch the last two episodes of this and you've seen nearly 90 percent of his filmography that can be found what are your thoughts right now
4: i'm slightly excited to be done exactly (laughs) (laughs) i don't know man if the if we didn't have this podcast there's no way that that i would have done this i would have never had the stamina yeah when would you have
2: given up on this Oh,
4: um, well, let's see. Probably whatever we watched on the second episode. <laughs>
2: heading, heading into the third of those four
4: movies, I would have been like, no, I don't need to do this.
3: But just li- fucking string listeners, me out. Listeners, just remember that Evan was one of the main protagonists of getting this started in the first place. He pushed and pulled and poked and poked at the named. <laughs> Derek and Derek finally gave in and said, okay, motherfucker, let's do this. And now he's like, I would have gave up on three episodes. Well, honestly,
2: about that's not entirely true.
4: But last last December I watched um, monstrosity
2: and I loved it. That was before all this. I remember (laughs) when we were talking initially on Twitter, this was the movie that we cut. This and Nightbirds. These were the movies that you referenced as. No, Milligan's got some good stuff. (laughs) All this time later. (laughs) I'm interested to see where you come out on it. I saw the good stuff first. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, (laughs) folks, if you aren't familiar with the movies we're going to be watching tonight, Monstrosity is Andy Milligan's Frankenstein monster movie. Yes. And, And The Weirdo, which is subtitled weirdo the beginning yep. is just about the snooziest fucking movie you're ever going to see in your entire life so i hope you're excited to hear us but we're gonna take a short break and when we come back we're gonna talk about monstrosity oh my god please don't turn off the podcast
5: you are listening to the bottom rack bottom shelf entertainment, for your top shelf lifestyle.
6: Hello, I am Daniel, and this is the bottom rack. My name is Daniel, my friends call me Daniel. You may call me Lord Daniel, or Daniel, or Lord Edenfield, whatever makes you feel more comfortable. I come to you with a new topic of discussion today, this in the form of a video game. Hi, I, uh, I can't really keep the pretense up too long. My name's Daniel, my friends call me Daniel, Dan, Dan, whatever, and uh, this is another issue, episode, issue, <laughs> another episode of the Bottom Rack, bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf lifestyle. Among watching movies and such, I am also a big gamer, as many of us are nowadays. Well, I have just wrapped up a game that I really wanted to hit up a topic on on an episode. I played The Council. Have you ever have you ever played a game that could have been your favorite game, but it's not? <laughs> the council, I've been following it. I've had it on my wish list like for a long time. And uh, yeah, I've had it on my wish list like for a long time. Um, probably about a year or so. I've been waiting because I'm cheap. And so I wait for the games to hit discount. Look, seriously, don't. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. You do whatever is your money, but I never pay full price for a video game. Seriously, you wait six months and it's already half off, maybe, or at least 25% off. Wait a year and it's half off at least. So, I mean, I've got plenty on my backlog to keep me busy. And if not, I've got Galaga and Doom and Heretics. I mean, I'm good. Anyway, I've been following the council because they released the game. It's like, kind of sort of like a telltale game from the Walking Dead series or the Game of Thrones game, if you've played that, or, you know, Wolf Among Us. It's a narrative play with basically not any action as much as it is, you know, dialogue trees and stuff. But this game, they didn't, they built it kind of sort of like a soap opera or like intrigue. It's, when you look at the trailer, because that's all I knew about it, was looking at the trailer is like, it takes place in the late, or the very early turn-of-the-century, 1790, 1800-ish. The game actually takes place in 1792 or 1793, something like that. And it's very posh and very effete, hence the Charles Dance impersonation for this video game. The whole game just oozes atmosphere. It's... I know this... All right, this review is going to be weird because... For every good thing that I'm gonna say about it, there'll probably be things that pop up where I hate the game <laughs> but i I wanna be fair and honest with this game the I'm getting sidetracked too, and I'm sorry I'm trying to trying to think of a good way to tackle this game. They released it in episodic fashion, like episodes, so it comes out kind of like a mini series where you've got episode one and much like I do with t v shows. It comes out with episode one. Well, I'm just gonna sit there and wait until the whole thing's finished because I hate commercials and I hate waiting. <laughs> I learned my lesson from the Dark Tower book series and from being a Robert Jordan fan in the '90s. Like I read the Eye of the World when it the paperback hit the shelf. I read Eye of the World, and I just finally gave up after like I finished book seven and he hadn't come out with book eight. Or I just I gave up. I'm done. And uh, it's the same way with a TV series. I'll just wait until they finish it before I watch it. Because I, I just, I don't like waiting. As I'd, I'd rather binge it. It just, that's just me. So anyway, the council was released like that. And it was also built, you know, like your questions matter and they do. But it was setting up like this aura of mystique, like Almost malicious, but they never really quite delve into it in the trailer other than you get like a brief little camera pan that shows a pentagram. And I was hooked. Just seeing that, just the the way that they build the trailer, I tell you that you talk about an effective trailer, that was it. When you make a trailer and it makes me want to play your game or watch your movie, you've done. You got a good trailer. So that was the counsel, is that I was hooked on my wish list and – boom waiting for it so i finally all the episodes came out and i i got it i think during like the christmas sale or whatever this past year i finally got a chance to play it sat down and played through it it's like 15 hours that i spent on the game so money well spent i think i paid 15 bucks for it so Trying to, because again, I'm not going to tell you what to spend your money on or how to spend your time. I'm just trying to make sure that you understand going in the g- good things about this game, plus, you know, maybe sort of the drawbacks of it. I can't say that this game sucks. It, it does, but it does. I, I say it sucks and I'm, you know, I hate it, but it's just certain aspects of it that I hate because this could be my favorite game of my entire life. It has the potential. This is where. Hollywood and video games need to meet. This is what I've been screaming forever. This is a let me think of the best. All right. For those of you who might know me, I am composer for the Night Keep. That's where I write my audio dramas. And I started out just making haunted house music and uh, making music, you know, for haunted attractions and stuff. And then ended up adding dialogue and audio stuff and just ended up being a movie for your mind, like podcasts. It's my jam. And that's what I've been working on lately with the Night Keep. Well, I've also dreamed of, or dreamt of doing this, like an interactive video game. So basically, the council is, in my head, it is in music of the video game. It's a different story and all, but the same concept. I ramble on and on about this, but I'm just serious. It was, for everything that this game does wrong, it does something right. It is so freaking cool. You start the game, and you build your skill tree. You can set up your focus of what skills you want. Uh, you can focus on like logic, or you can focus on the occult, or you can focus. I think it, it kind of, sort of like D and D in that it'll do like physical, social, or introspective, like mental or whatever. But it not so much because this is not an action game. Um, but you you have you know three primary. Main attributes and from which your other skills derive from, and so you can pick to put points and whatever you can set it up, and it doesn't matter uh, as you play the game it it affects it, but you there's you know just if you do a a politics build you're not going to get the shaft in the game. there will be plenty of opportunity for you to use every skill available in the game so don't get bogged down with that. And ultimately, it's a choose-your-own-adventure, but it opens up like a movie. So it starts out in episode one. You get your prologue. You get the uh, Monsieur Derichet, it's French, (laughs) with his mother, Sarah, are part of an order, the Golden Order of the New Dawn, something like that. The Golden Dawn, not, not the Aleister Crowley, but it's named really close to it. So lovers of the occult. You're gonna love every bit of this game. The story will hook you immediately. It got me from episode one, five minutes in, and I'm hooked. Like they're looking for an occult book called the Alazif, and they're tied, they're bound to a chair, and they've got like this doctor dude who's fixing to like fuck them up or whatever. So you can do. You choose your immediately your dialogue tree. Some some are quick time events. Like you have a timer that'll slowly that'll sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly that'll tick down while you pick your options. And the dialogue tree will pop up. Sometimes it'll have two choices. Sometimes it'll have four or six. And depending on your skills, you might get an extra additional dialogue option. And the whole game plays out like that as you meander. Your when I say meander as you just plow through the narrative. The gist of this game is that you are summoned to an island by, uh, here, I to switch to my Charles Dance voice, Lord Mortimer. Lord Mortimer has summoned you to his island repose with other notable figures in the political world. So you find yourself on an island. You have been summoned by Lord Mortimer, and your mother. See, I think your mother is missing, if I remember right. Pardon me on this little detail it's just you however another Monsieur Derriche because he's French however he ends up on the island it's because I'm pretty sure it's because his mother's missing and if he doesn't know that you immediately find out when he's (laughs) when he disembarks onto the pier on the island so this is no spoiler this is 10 minutes into the game your mom's missing, and she was a known occultist, and she was looking for something that Mortimer had. She of course the Allaz and something else is the reason that she was on the island. And if I remember right, she tells you not to go, like there at the beginning. And regardless, you're met with a, you know, sense of foreboding going to this island, but you have to go because you want to find your mom. And then you start meeting other characters like Miss Emma. You got Emily. That you meet up with her and of course she's your standard femme fatale and then you've got uh monsieur napoleon bonaparte and oh yeah george washington is there with his nice uh freemasons little golden emblem with the compass and the g and so yeah conspiracy theorists if you're just any kind of fan of anything from dan brown to alex jones you're going to find something to enjoy in this game. If the thought of pentagrams, hexagrams, and occult iconography tickles your fancy, you're going to want this. Oh, my God, there's, there are parts in this game that just – I'm not going to go in full – really too much more into the story just because I don't want to spoil it. The game has three or four endings. I've seen three of them. Ultimately, I say the problem with this game is – because it is such a cool story. The problem with the story is that you have to play the game to get to it. <laughs> the I am one of those people. I don't like you just it, you almost get choice paralysis when you play this game because you're afraid of choosing the wrong thing. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a it's a multiple choice thing, you know. They say They never say this, but you know, you play the game thinking that there's no wrong answer because the last thing you want is to invest so much time in a game and then get a shit ending. And because you might interpret a conversation a different way than a French developer might read a sentence in his way, you know, I just get scared that I'm going to get shackled with a shitty ending. And kind of so, and I'll tell you why I'm really afraid of that is when I played Call of Cthulhu and I got the shit ending. And it had nothing to do with, like, choices that I I would make, particular choices. And it ends up giving me the stupid bullshit, it was all in my mind ending. Fuck that game. And fuck the developers for doing that to me. Sorry to get, sorry. Hold on, let me swig some water, calm down for a second. Anyway, I'm afraid ever since games like that, and this is not the only game, it just I'm scared for that. So, I mean, if you need to maybe have a YouTube guy, just try to avoid spoilers on this, because ultimately, at the end of the game, it's not the problem I have with this is that I, I'm kind of happy that they did that, you know, Because ultimately, no matter the choices that you make, it doesn't matter. You're going to get an ending. But what's really cool about it is you can then go back and you can select. You can play through the whole game again, but you can also select by episodes. It has every episode laid out, all five episodes, with three to five chapters in each episode that you can click on and play through and then you can skip the dialogue just be mindful the first time you play this game you can't skip dialogue your ass is sitting there listening and reading through all the jank sometimes broken dialogue sometimes misspellings or you know different words for localization i'm not harping on that i'm just saying you'll know when you play it graphically it could be better it it's almost like it uses an earlier assassin's creed engine it I'm thinking it's the same. It's like based off the Assassin's Creed engine, but it's just different. It's a little janky. Not the prettiest. The music is exquisite. And, oh, let me. The music, the symphonic score is exquisite. I found the lush tones, the amber monotone and drones that it would provide during certain sequences of the game. I found immersive. The music was great. It was just Top-notch, stellar quality. The setting, the atmosphere, the aesthetic of this game is top shelf. Which kind of <laughs> is funny, seeing as how this is the bottom rack. I'm including it though, seeing as how I bought it on discount. So, but like the aesthetic, the setting, top shelf, man. This is just so cool. The conspiracy theories you meet, it just everything around it. What kills this game. And this, I mean, this will kill a game. I don't care if this is my favorite game on the planet. You throw a goddamn puzzle at me in this game, I am done. I don't play this shit. For, if I want to play a puzzle, I'll pick up a goddamn Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Sorry, I feel really strongly about I, I fucking hate puzzles. I just, I, I really hate it. And because a lot of times these puzzles they'll do like logic puzzles or something and it's not is you think that you're the way you solve it or the way you might tackle it is not the way the developer thinks that you need to tackle it and unfortunately you have to do it the way the developer thinks that you need to tackle it you see what i mean so it's just it's arbitrary puzzle i really don't like it it just it kills the game and it kills my mood and maybe it's just me but i don't care i just you want to just oh god i hate puzzles fucking hate puzzles This game starts throwing puzzles at you by episode three and it's reminiscent. I don't know what it is with the French and the damn puzzles, but like the Sherlock Holmes games, if you've ever played those or (laughs) call of Cthulhu, fuck that game where it just starts throwing these stupid ass puzzles at you. And it's almost, it just, it grinds the, I say the movie, it grinds it. Yeah. The movie, it grinds it to a screeching halt. You come, you're, plowing through wanting to know more of the mystery and whatnot and all of a sudden you hit a brick wall because you got a stupid puzzle to solve that you got to do all this reading backtracking and it doesn't really help the fact that your dude runs at the pace of a turtle with a suppository it just he runs really slow and the camera angle is a little bit but again the way that you tackle this stuff through conversation and sometimes you go to like They call it a confrontation. Think of it like a sort of a quick time event. Most of the time, they're quick time events. That's kind of like a Mexican standoff. Um, If you've ever played Stranglehold, whenever you would go into the standoff mode and you would have a limited time to move your body and, you know, shoot the enemy and bullet time and stuff, it's kind of like that, only you don't have to move your body. It's just certain things might pop up that you can select, you know, different dialogue options. It's really cool. But again... What I mentioned about like the choice paralysis by in the first episode, depending on your choices, you can somebody can die and you can get blamed for it or they can die and you won't get blamed for it or they can just disappear and you get blamed for it or they can stick around. It just and this is like the first episode and there's one in the second episode that's the same way. It's like a dude can die and get removed from the narrative that early in the game and it can directly impact and affect what you will do and pretty much the ending you will get at the end. Another thing that sucks is as you get near the end it starts throwing puzzles at you and I'm just so pissed off with them. I'm just it just it drags a game down. When I have to have YouTube or I have to keep alt-tabbing out just to look for the solution to a goddamn puzzle that I didn't know I was going to be forced to partake or to participate with. No. It just that pisses me off. All of that done, <laughs> seriously, this game is great. I, the story was worth it. I played through it. Like I said, I got three out of the four endings, and I, the fourth ending is just kind of yeah, I don't care. I know what the I know what it is. I don't need to see it. It was a really cool game. It was actually pretty thought-provoking the way some of the stuff is presented. It just It's really cool. It's called The Council. I know you can get it on Steam. Pretty sure you can get it on GOG, and it's totally worth it. It's by Focus Home Interactive is the publisher. I think Big Bad Wolf or Bad Wolf Games or something is the company that did it. But here's the thing. If you like this game, they're coming out with a Vampire the Masquerade. They've got the license from Onyx Path Publishing or um, from White Wolf and then whoever it was, like Paradox Interactive. I think sold it. So regardless, this company is working on a narrative game for Vampire the Masquerade. So, as lack, well, like I said, the council, I I have to give it, immediately, I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Just because, like I said, for every good thing, there's going to be something that sucks. But then I'm going to go ahead and bump it up to a seven just because of the aesthetic and the music. Just because I finished it yesterday and I, or the other day. Yesterday? Yeah. And I'm still thinking about it. Like, it was that cool it was just really cool so anyway I have gone way over time with this but that has been the council I bought it for 15 bucks I've got like at least 15 hours probably I think closer to like 18 hours of entertainment off of it I mean you are not going to get that kind of deal with a movie that is why I say this is just this is the future is the way this is because I can pay 15 bucks, get 18 hours of entertainment, and I am directly involved in the narrative. I don't have to sit there and watch the narrative because, as the rules said, there is no greater thief. Benjamin Franklin said, you know, the, there is no greater thief than a bad book. Well, right after that is a bad game, and after that is a bad movie. I say, eh, kind of bad movie because you're afraid to turn it off. You know, a game, you've already invested a lot into it, so, so who knows. But anyway, this has been—oh, let me— this has been the Bottom Rack. I am Daniel, or Lord Daniel. You may call me Daniel, and I will speak to you on another date. Thank you.
7: You are listening to Astro Radio Z.
0: He supposedly created a golem to avenge the enemies of his followers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh oh, 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 shit! Holy shit! Jeremy,
5: I know you're tight. Nah, 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 nah. You're not
0: nice no more. No, Frankie!
1: You claim you made a man out of dead parts you stole from your medical school? What are you
0: on, Scott?
2: You don't believe? Me. No. I'll show
3: them to you.
0: Frankie, you want to nail me, Frankie? Nail you? Yeah. You know. To do it. You know? No. You have before, haven't you? No. You're a kid. No. A virgin? Wow!
2: Monstrosity made in 1987 is Andy Milligan's attempt to make a rape revenge film mixed with Frankenstein's monster.
3: (laughs) It sounds great, doesn't it, kids? And comedy. let's,
2: Let's wrap our fucking heads around that concept. In our timeline of Andy Milligan's life, once this was made, Andy Milligan really only lived for four more years. He had moved from New York City and Staten Island to L.A. hoping for greener pastures or could be said to escape some of the bullshit he had created.
3: <laughs> some bullshit? like Yeah, he created a lot of bullshit. Yeah. My so God. he goes
2: to the West Coast. And somehow pulls enough shit together to put monstrosity, which couldn't be a more apt title for this film together. The first of three films that would end his career, monstrosity, the weirdo and surgical, all of which had very limited releases. Now they had very small theatrical releases in next to nothing of home video monstrosity. I believe only had a VHS run and it was very limited and never went to DVD and it was in a complete obscurity until the last year where it finally got a, a limited like Blu-ray release
3: with the weirdo tonight. Well, two different releases. They're not together. So the weirdo got its own independent Blu-ray release. Everybody remember this, a Blu-ray that should never be exist.
2: now if if it were to be the weirdo not to jump ahead here because we are talking about monstrosity right now if the weirdo were to be put on a disc with fucking the rats are coming the werewolves are here it might be the most worthless blu-ray in existence Mm -hmm. i i they would have to literally give it away nobody would pay a cent for that fucking gimmick So having said this monstrosity, the rape revenge film mixed with Frankenstein's monster. Evan, would you like to tell the listeners the plot synopsis? Yes. Of monstrosity.
4: Oh man. It's so crazy. The movie opens with some tough street punks who are, you know, going around and like dumping people's bags onto the ground and kicking them. And they have like two victims. And then like the third victim is um, this girl who it gets really violent, like really terrible violent. Like there's no humor in this at this point. They definitely disemboweled her uh, with, with uh, Milligan's, you know,
2: standard entrails that he used everywhere. Oh, they were so bad. Well, yeah, (laughs) they, they follow her home with her boyfriend. They, the boyfriend leaves and then they go into her apartment, rape her and beat her up pretty severely. Then Follow her to the hospital and after everyone leaves and she's alone in her hospital room looking at a scrapbook of potential
3: (laughs) assailants. It's like a Wile E. Coyote cartoon, you know, (laughs) he just walks in. He just walks in and and he's like, oh, you're going to tell me And just starts to go to town. And you're like, what the fuck?
4: And he like he cuts her Stomach, you know, it shows like him cutting across into her stomach and opening it up, and 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 pulling out her guts, and so that's basically the setup of the revenge story that will come later. I think we cut to about six months later. It all of a sudden turns into this like weekend at Bernie's eighties comedy attempt, like these the guy and his his
2: buddies the boyfriend of the girl 6 months later and his buds
3: he's yeah, still they, pissed off he's still angry about it and he's just like and then his friend carlos the whitest goddamn spanish spanish name version guy i've ever seen in my life is like hey i'm reading my books about a goddamn golem what a golem yeah, a golem this
4: is this is their plan to get revenge to to create life
2: Obviously, the clearest re- thing that they can do, the most logical thing they can do, not don't go to the cops, don't hire a PI, don't get somebody to hunt these people down. No, we are going to bring a being back to life. <laughs> that is just a bunch of desperate parts of not only human beings, but a gorilla's arm. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> At this point in the movie when these these fucking idiots decide you know what we're going to make our own creature that will do our bidding I was balls deep in this movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's silly as fuck. It's stupid as all hell. The opening sequence, even though it sounds really dark with the rape aspect of it, which isn't really shown too much, it's mostly insinuated. He cuts away from it, which is surprising given Milligan's penchant for loving to sit and show degradation of women and how much he hates women. He was actually fairly chaste in how he presented this. But the way that this movie is up until this point, even with these dark themes, you have this insanely like I don't know if it's irritating or maddening or surreal soundtrack. Oh playing on top of this movie <laughs> which is like this digital drums almost sounds like the drums from fucking uh blood feast yep. yeah but sped up, sped up in digital uh mixed with synthesizers a very 80s soundtrack it would suddenly change when there was a more tender moment to this old like stock
3: music from the 40s yeah it made no sense at all like it was so fucking bizarre. And then something, yeah, if, you're, if they're in a happy moment, it goes to happy music. When you know someone's going to get killed or maimed, it goes into that, like, which is in the trailer, which you probably played at the start of this. Um, and it's like, what the like? I'm like, oh, my God, he's starting to actually figure out that you shouldn't put happy music over murder sequences. I'm so happy for you, like, it, took so, you, it took you. It took you, a, it took you a cross-country trip to realize, hey, maybe I should put, you know, I don't know. The good soundtrack, the the scary sounds during the murder sequences, and the, the happy stuff during the good stuff. Okay.
2: Nope. But in typical Milligan fashion, he has no concept of what actually works in film. He just throws everything at the wall. So, this opening sequence has this very counteractive soundscape to the visuals. which the, the shots are all super loose. There's so much negative space around everyone, and these punks look like they're a 45 to 60-year-old guy's fucking idea of what street toughs are in the 80s. Uh-huh.
3: But didn't he also they- slit the throat of a fucking bum at some point in that opening sequence, yes. too? Yes. Which is just like, oh, that's vicious. Like that's This is our nice, fun revenge comedy. Okay, fuck you, Andy, you bastard. Like What are you doing to me?
2: <laughs> the, well, the only thing that makes this funny in the beginning is that it's just so horribly done and none of it feels real. It feels like someone's idea of a rape revenge film. Yeah,
3: it's like a nightmare. It's like somebody's... It's a, it's a living nightmare, practically, on, on, on celluloid because it was done on 16mm. So so they, they create the golem, right? Which is the goofiest, like, the longest fucking scene in the film, too. Of them, like, talking about it, discussing it, working on it, doing it. The head, you know, the head on the shelf, you know, originally a 50s joke of a head on a, on, a, on a shelf. It's just a guy sitting with his head in a hole um, with that bad fucking fake eyeball missing bullshit. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. They put them together, they get them all set up. The, the dumbest ways that think and it's just completely cockamamie science and just silly shit. You're like, wait, these people are supposed to be like, you know, doctors, I guess. I guess two of them are going to medical school. It's like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, I think they're med students. but they, Man, they don't know They shit. fill them with blood like they're filling a balloon with blood. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> and they keep mug and they keep and they keep the wig on his head because he looks better with the wig on. But he looks like a fucking maniac. <laughs> like-
2: okay, so let's talk about the wig they put on because the the golem is Hal Borsk, who's been in a bunch of Milligan productions, and he's always really fun to see because he's kind of goofy and he's kind of a doofus. And in this movie, he's the Gollum, So this kind of darkish movie turns super fucking goofy <laughs> once he shows up. And they put this fucking wig on him that's this huge orange red afro that is held on with a fucking
3: headband. It's like Ronald McDonald. Yeah, it's a <laughs> fright wig. It's a it's a fright wig, in, in the best of senses, it's 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 like maybe they stole that from Andy's like private stash. Like here, use this one. I don't wear this one anymore.
2: Well, everything about this movie is ten cent. Like it is literally what they had sitting around because so they make the golem uh, Evan, then what happens from this point? Remember, um, I know, <laughs> I know.
4: Fucking happens after this point.
2: I know, that, I know, no, there's one
4: important part, which is that he, they, they go and take care of a group of punks
3: out in next to like a, a, a car wash or something. That's, fu- that's fucked up because they I talk about, can I talk about the scene? Yes. So in this scene, you get the two chicks and you got two other punks, right? The two are there's a there's a couple. The one of the guys, one of the girls, and he's like, you know, move it, and like. And she's like, ah. and she's like, well, and the other girl, Jamie, our our main lead in this group that we only find out the only one of the names, um, she's like, telling her like, why don't you why don't you give him more He's Like, well, he already beat me before. I don't want him to beat me anymore, but I love him. It's like, oh God, Jesus Christ, Andy, please.
2: Well, this is up to this point. That was the first time we actually heard any Milligan dialogue because the movie is actually fairly silent up until that point. There's not a lot of talking. It's mostly this insane soundtrack, and things are happening. And then this that conversation you're talking about, Vaughn, is literally the first instance in this entire movie where we're like, "Oh yeah, we're watching an Andy Milligan
3: movie." Yeah, you guys are quintessential Milligan the women are you know ridiculous but they're afraid of the guys they're with cuz they're abusive and it's like oh andy how you doing nice to meet you um and they walk up to this they and they get accosted by a couple of pimps i don't even know what the fuck were these drug dealers like i don't remember what the fuck these guys were they mug them st- kill the one guy they then beat and like rip the shirt off the other chick which is just vicious and this is and this is from like a 20 a 10 minute sequence of them trying to put the golem together which is this goofy funny little sequence it really breaks up, up the the really miserable part of the woman being raped and murdered the first the start and you're like oh this is going to be a fun little comedy no we get this really vicious scene of these punks getting beat you know they they friggin handcuff the two living punks they they drive off they're like oh they're all, they're gone good and as they're, the other two are starting to get up no they, they come back and they run over their the, the other guy like while they're while yeah. Jamie's uh, friggin handcuffed to him and as they're about to kill Jamie all of a sudden what's his name old fight rig. Frightwig uh, maniac uh, golem pops up and ki- and and it stops him from killing her. So when they ran over that guy, didn't somebody say,
4: "Are you all right?" <laughs> or something like after they <laughs> smashed his head open? I I could have sworn it was something really dumb like maybe.
3: That. I know that I know that the character Jamie is just crying her brains out. It's like oh that's okay. really fucking down. That's just that really just put you right in the shitter because it's like oh great awesome funny piece and then really vicious nasty. Like not even like, like just fucking pure fucking vile. Like in like you go from this kind of co- funny comedy sequence to this really vicious nasty sequence. You're like, oh great, I am watching an Andy Milligan film because he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to incorporate any of this properly.
2: Well, let's not act like this is like a Ruggiero Diodato film or anything like that. This, no, that <laughs> I mean, pretty, it's not it's that dark. dark, but it is pretty dark for a
3: film for this kind of film. For this kind of film, because when it goes, as it goes, as Jamie gets saved and the guys get scared off, they go back to his, you know, the uh, the shed he lives in in the back of someone's house. Um, and they go and she kind of, you know, gets a thing for him and they have sex. Let,
2: let's talk about the scene you were just talking about quick. So these street toughs come across these these people, mm-hmm. and but the street toughs, the initial ones, these punks literally look like they're in their 50s. And there's the one girl, Jamie, who you keep talking about is with them. Now, the guy that raped the initial girlfriend shows up with new toughs, and those toughs run off without him once fucking Gollum Hal Borsk shows up and he he kills the guy that killed the girlfriend immediately. So the threat of like the whole point of him being made is resolved within the first half of the film
4: (laughs) that's that's why i was forgetting what happened because i was like i don't really remember
2: the main thread like how it ends well that's because so they these guys make the golem and they send him out to after they teach him a few things and they give him like a teddy bear and whatnot they teach him a few things and then they send him out every night to go and Try and find these guys. So he finds the one guy. He ends up meeting this girl, this this druggy girl, uh Jamie, who's like a prostitute mixed with a junkie, and he brings her back to the garage, which listeners, first half of this movie, there's a lot of different locations. There's a lot of stuff going on. The second half of the movie is primarily takes place in a fucking garage. Yeah. Like yeah. 40 minutes of this movie takes place in a cramp fucking garage. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I don't get it. Because that scene, the scene where they're out in the the car wash is great because it's this kind of nighttime shot scene. And because car washes are normally very lit because, you know, people are washing their fucking cars and need to see everything. It's like, oh, this is a really good sh- outdoor sequence, which you never see him do. Because yep. it's usually around someone's house or his house right. or, or whatever apartment building he's renting out. And it's like, wow, this is pretty good. And then it cuts to the back to the shed. And you have the whole scene with Jamie introducing herself and kind of... You know, trying to talk to to Frankie um,
2: and they fall in love and then fuck and they become a thing. Regardless of the fact that uh, Hal Borsk, Frankie hit one of his eyeballs are hanging out literally on his cheek. (laughs) Yeah, the
3: great great thing is that when he gets all turned on, he starts to leak, which is just another great thing. (laughs) And so she's getting covered in blood. She's just getting from his head. Yeah, from his head. Oh, and his pants. So remember, there's a scene where it's his pants are just getting coated in blood because of the hole in his knee. Um, so she's like, "Oh, what is this?" And he's like, "Oh, that's what happens when I get when I get excited." She's like, "Oh, okay, whatever." And then they go and fuck, and then you know she kind of leaves. <laughs> And then time, and the thing is, time is not a memory. So like, I didn't realize it was six months had passed between her, his girlfriend being murdered, them creating the golem. I thought it was just Tuesday. It's like Monday was the death. Tuesday was what was we're doing this now. I didn't. And then all of a sudden they're back, and they're kind of trying to do this. They get don't they get him a hooker at one point? Am I am I losing my mind? Or they just suge- suggest getting him a hooker to kind of get him? No, a little- they get him a blow up doll. Oh, that's what they get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do they do reference getting him like a hooker or something like that.
2: Well, yeah, they're trying to figure out they're trying to teach him more about being a human. So they get him as a joke, because even though Frankie goes out and does what they want him to do, he kills literally by the like the three quarter mark of this film. All of the assailants from the original crime have been killed. And the murders are pretty fun. I have to say the murder. I mean, they're they're idiotic, but they're pretty fun. The one sequence in that one destitute like um I don't know if it was a, a theater backlot or what it was, is actually a fairly decent sequence. Yeah. It's not too bad. Other than the fact that the music is clashing, there's like three different songs clashing at once <laughs> so yeah. loudly. You can barely hear yourself think. And you think you've taken like three hits of fucking LSD, but no, you're just watching a fucking Andy <laughs> Milligan movie. <laughs> it's actually a fairly decent sequence that it, it just all it does is serve to break up the back half of this film in this cramped fucking garage Um, so after that point the boys that are just making fun of Frankie at this point turn on Frankie because now all of a sudden they feel guilty because one of the girlfriends of the boys finds out that they may... (laughs) that they made a golem to enact their revenge. <laughs> and surprisingly enough, she, she's not okay
3: with it, but they find out about, she finds out about this really early, like pretty much like the day after they create it. And she's for, and she, and this is the same, isn't it the same girlfriend of the guy who lost the girl at the start? Or am I confusing that? Cause these, all these, no, two, you're confusing these because the three guys, guys are basically the same guy. They're carbon copies of each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but she finds out pretty, pretty fast. Like I think after the first murder, she finds out, if I remember correctly, not,
2: not until like almost the three quarter mark of this movie is that is when that happens, because it's basically the last act of this movie. Yeah.
3: And it's just like, OK, and and she kind of she kind of like 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 with Annie's idea of women, she kind of browbeats him and makes him feel bad about creating this guy. So now they have to, now that he gets his friends to decide to change their minds about having this thing. And it's like, oh, well, too late by the time you want to kill it after the uh,
4: the original Punk is killed and after you established the love interest between Jamie and Frankie, um, yes. there was a point, you know, we were watching this um, and chatting at the, at the same time. And Derek, you were saying, oh, I'm really quickly losing interest. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then something happened that changed that. And you were like, I'm way back in. And that's the part. <laughs> I can't remember what picked up again. I mean – the the thing is, like this movie, even though we're describing it as as insane, which it is, it's more insane than the way we're the way we're you know presenting it. I think you you can't imagine how how goofy this is.
2: I think the reason for that is is because of how it's presented. It's it's the music and the visuals, which uh, there's a certain aesthetic to Andy Milligan's films post. 1980 once 1980 hit his films really take on a completely different feel i mean we talked about it briefly on the last episode with carnage and with the legacy of horror legacy of blood where they started actually feeling like he was attempting to make legitimate films like maybe these two-day throw together let's just toss people in front of a, a camera movies weren't going to cut it anymore for his distributors or for his, I I know that Lou Mishkin thought all of his films were garbage and they fought endlessly about everything. And actually he's the reason why a lot of the films are missing now because he flat out just threw the fuckers away. Yeah. Um but it was like he was being pressured to finally sit and make real films. So the aesthetic changes where there's a lot of camera setups. Um, the, there's actual actors in some of these movies now. whether or not you'll know them from anything other than Hal Borst, That's negligible. But they just have a completely different feel in this movie. To me, feels like that 80s era of trauma, mm. uh, except for the fact that this music turns it into things almost (laughs) like it's so insane because the movie itself, the visuals are just fairly whole home, low rent shit. But when you mix it with this music, it becomes fucking maddening and it's hard to keep up with the stupidity of the fucking plot. It's (laughs) even for a fucking Andy Milligan movie. You gotta admit, this is easily one of the dumbest fucking things he's thought up to this point.
3: Out of the stuff that was coming out at this time, it's no carnage. No offense. It's no carnage. No, But no. I think it's fun as the kind of goofiest. It's just a goofy idea that the the one kid to be like, well, I read about this in, in one of my classes, you know, about creating a golem. And it's like, oh, great idea. And it's just like, what? Like, Didn't you guys want in any way think about this? Just like three surfers from California. are Like, all right, great. Let's do it.
2: Well, that's what I thought they were, too. And they came in. I thought these were just some dude bros that were going out and maybe, you know, they were they were catching some rays and, and yeah. going out and surfing a little bit because this obviously looks like they're in L.A. But uh-huh. no, all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what? I read in my book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wonder if we saw
3: Blood Diner or like the Toxic Avenger.
2: There's got to be something because this is in line with Carnage. Like I can see the progression from carnage to this because mm-hmm. carnage is really stupid and goofy, but at the same time, an attempt to be legitimate. Yep, And but- monstrosity kind of has that. And then at the very end, after, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's killed all the assailants. Mm-hmm. The boys are turning on him and uh, the boys end up killing Jamie and Frankie goes nuts and all of a sudden there's like a, a guardian angel that pops up oh, and yeah. starts talking oh it makes no fucking oh, sense Derek, the movie Derek. goes
4: comp- Derek, it's not just yeah. a guardian angel it's a re it's a reincarnated aborted fetus
2: that's right
4: <laughs> <laughs> he said i i'm part i was i'm part of like the millions of abortions and this is all of a
2: sudden it's oddly like a morality play at the very end which is strange for Andy Milligan but I think honestly like you had said earlier in one of the episodes Vaughn I think it yeah. was just there for Pop no. He's just trying to be offensive in some way
3: yeah it's just I think it's just like hey we're in California that's a big thing let's fuck this let's do this thing and it's, it's it feels like because he moved from New York to California between what uh, Carnage and and the, uh, the TV show right that was the last thing in New York he kind of burned all his bridges and came to california it just feels like it's like it's like well i somebody somebody noticed i was a director and they gave me a couple of bucks i got like a week to do this let's fucking quit and like and he wrote this damn thing out you know out of the mind of his where he's like well i don't and and the guy who must have the people who produced this two guys produced this must have looked at this and said nope i just fucking put it underneath the table or something like that
2: what would explain why it was never shown to anybody and most people didn't really know about it for the most part until
3: very recently <laughs> Well, it, was, it, it must have got a release at some point on VHS or D. Yeah, it R- did. because it did. the copies I have are all from like you know they're old they look like they're old VHS copies but they're you know because it was shot on film it actually looks okay um, compared to Sh- Surgery Kill which we're going to talk about next week um, whichever, I think that movie was shot on VHS, if I remember correctly. I'm, I can't, I don't remember. It, yes, that. it
2: very much looks like a shot it's on video it's, film.
3: It's like he just completely kind of ran with it, kind of went back to his own ways of doing things. Like, I got these new producers. They don't know the shit I'm doing. Who cares? Let's do it. I just did whatever he wanted, like he normally does. And and they were like, well, this is garbage, Andy. What do you, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I got another film. Let me do another film. And he did the, the next film that we're going to talk about tonight. And it's just like, it's like, we can't they like we can show this to people let's see who like they probably did a handful of screenings in la just to see if anybody would actually show up to this fucking thing and they were like yeah no we should just put this in a can and hide it
2: well that's what i'm sure the release was like because this film is very disjointed it does feel like a bunch of desperate ideas that were just thrown together because by the end of it as as evan had said there's you know the the guardian angel aborted fetus there's the the fuck and then the very end it turns into this weirdly meta moment where frankie is hanging out with this lady this older lady who's a, a street bum and they're waxing existential on this bench waiting for a bus and then all of a sudden we hear milligan yell cut And the camera pulls out and shows the whole
3: crew going over and they commiserate for like three minutes. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. Oh, wait. Yeah, okay. I never remember that shit. It's just, it's like, okay, I saw the Holy Mountain. Let's fucking do that too.
2: What the fuck is he doing? That's exactly what that is. Evan, when you saw that, what did you think of this moment?
4: When I originally saw it, I mean, I didn't remember from last December what it was, but I thought that uh, that moment was basically... I don't know. It was sort of empathizing with the viewer. It's like, yeah, this was goofy, but you know, we're just having fun here. We're all just having fun here or whatever. And it, it really is an endearing moment. I think.
2: Yeah. It's one of those things where you forgive a lot of, the real boredom and tediousness that happens in the second half of the film because it is just one location and it just spins its wheels for the most part, where it's this movie's very front end heavy, where it just goes all over the place and it's kind of wacky and he does a lot more stuff with gore and um, comedy than we've seen up until this point. And then it kind of stops dead in his tracks for a while. And then this final act where it just goes completely off the rails even though it's still all within the fucking garage this final moment frankie and this lady are basically talking about nothing is tying me down the world is my oyster and i'm going to just live life day by day and i'm not going to answer to anybody and then we hear cut and the it pull like the camera pulls out we see the crew go in there it was like Wow, what a really self-aware moment for Andy Milligan. It's almost tender. Right. Where for the first time, we see Milligan show that I really love making movies. And even though this was a lot of fucking nonsense, we love doing this for you. And here, I'm going to show you how much everyone loved each other on this set. (laughs) (laughs) It's super tender. And it brought the movie around for me. Uh, Vaughn, what did you think of this final bit?
3: Well, the when, when you're sitting there on that bench talking and his pans out and then it starts, the camera starts to move slowly up and I'm like, oh, God, like, what the hell's going on? Like, w- w- why is the camera moving? Like, did he did he fall asleep or did he get in a fight with somebody <laughs> behind him? Like, what's going on? And then it does that. And you're like, oh, wow, this is bizarre. But yeah, it's like it's the weirdest thing in a way. It's a weird way to end that film because it's so up, you know, that whole talk between the bum and her him, him and the bum is so kind of uplifting and really positive because it's like you know i i mean i could be a doctor or a lawyer and like this or that another thing and she's like yeah and he's like there's nothing to bind me and nothing to hold me back i can do whatever i want and you're like oh that's that's really that feels like it's like a guy who just moved to california after you know ruining everything on the other side of the world and he's like i have all this present this potential i can do whatever i want and yeah. it's him talking to the cut to the to the you know, the audience saying, hey, literally, literally hey, for
2: the first time, breaking that fourth wall. Yeah. And Andy Milligan's just kind of like, hey,
3: I'm no. optimistic about things. Yeah, things are looking up for me. And then he would die four years later, which is just like, OK, like, for
2: such a goofy,
3: dark, funny,
2: oddball, stupid so. fucking movie. It's an oddly tender moment that has never been replicated in any of his other films. I, it blew me the fuck away. i think that might have been uh evan what you were talking about is when i saw that i was like holy shit i'm back in yeah yeah (laughs) this movie that wasn't that bad (laughs) so at the end of the day when you sit here and talk about monstrosity even though as i said before not to be redundant that the back end of this movie is a whole fuckload of nothing until the the final reveals like the the climax of the film um it's just weird enough that, like Carnage, I kind of have to recommend it. Yeah. It's on the top half of Milligan's filmography for me. Yeah. You,
4: you could show this to friends and not be worried the whole time thinking they must be bored out of their minds. You know, you could show this to somebody and they would understand
3: why you're showing it to them because it's so crazy.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Vaughn.
3: So wait, wait, hold on. Two things. Did you guys watch to the end of the credits? But yep. if you watch the credits, which is very short, it says there there is going to be a monstrosity too. Yes. What? Like, oh man, why didn't he get that done? Like that would have been great. Like I would have loved the scene, whatever the fuck that madness is. Um, another another thing is that the film the film that the uh, I guess Mark the house that Mark hangs out with and most of the films like the uh, helic, the the hospital scene you know where there's a front door right in the hospital room that she's sitting in um, <laughs> were all shot in Andy's house that he lived in in California. What a shock! Weird. <laughs> um, I I like this film it's definitely a film that like if I was given if I was like hey you want to sit down and watch a weird movie tonight alright let's watch this you know what I mean I used to do and I still do to like girlfriends and stuff like that is that I will, will find the stupidest thing I own and make them watch it kind of as a litmus test if they can deal with sure. this and not want to kill me by the end of it yeah, they're worth hanging out with and this is a film that I would show to people I even showed a friends like it's like, all right, we're having a we're having a fun, weird movie night. And I know I'm the guy to, to provide that fun, weird movie. And this would be the middle movie in between, like, you know, like something really fun and something really depressing. This would be right in the middle because that's what it is. It's right in the middle of yeah, like, agree. The gnarliest shit he can think of and the and kind of the funniest stuff that Andy's ever put together. Um, and it's just it, it's it's weirdly optimistic. But, yeah, I, I like this and I'd recommend it. You know, um, Garage House Pictures put it out on Blu-ray. Um, and you can you can get it. It's, it they're, they're, their releases are limited, but it's not like they're not hard to find. So i definitely pick it up if you wanted to as a blind buy. And if you don't like it, you know, sell it to me. I'll gladly take it from you.
2: I <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree with you, boys. This is definitely a thumbs up, of, which is surprising that I'm going to give an absolute thumbs up for an andy milligan movie up to this point (laughs) there's very few that i'm going to um even with its shortcomings monstrosity is totally worth your time fan especially astro radio z fans of trauma type flicks this is right in that wheelhouse it's stupid and outrageous and just self-aware enough that it's not obnoxious it's not winking at you the entire time until the very very end so definitely go out and check this out now we're going to take a break and when we come back, oh boy. Oh boy, we're going to talk about the weirdo again. Fuck. Stick around.
1: Oh. <laughs> Hi. I'm Angelique. And there's nothing better at the end of a long day than a hot bath and a good book. Now, I'm not talking your highfalutin literature like your, your Jane Eyre or your Wuthering Heights. I'm talking candy bars for your brain. The kind of books you'll find gathering dust at the Bilo or your local used bookstore. Books about monsters, ghosts, demons, werewolves, Draculas, killers, surgical abominations, or just about any other horror you can dream up. So, plug the drain, grab you a book, and come soak with me in the tub of terror. season, not to mention this new coronavirus that's running around. It's got everybody joking about Captain Trips. So I picked out a juicy little medical thriller to scare the bad germs away. It's called Blackbird and is written by Dorothy McMillan. Now the tagline on the cover is fantastic. It says in all caps, in that lovely embossed uh, font, a novel of screaming medical horror. So, (laughs) does it live up to this? Is Blackbird just ducky? Or is it a total bath bomb? Let's find out. So hell hath no fury like a microbiologist scorned. Uh, We meet Pearl, who by all the very detailed description given in the book, looks like Zorak with long black hair. She lives in California and works for a prestigious hospital in the research department. And she has cooked up some hybrid botulism mixed with E. coli, and it is deadly. After testing it on her kitty cat, which is a total a-hole move, if you ask me, uh, she goes to her ex-fiance's wedding and spritzes this new superbug all over the food. In about five minutes, Folks are basically dissolving into piles of barf and dying all over the place. She goes on her merry way, but she isn't being super slick about concealing herself while she's committing these crimes. Um, She signed the wedding guest book. I mean, she did use a fake name, Lillian Blackbird, but... From there, she goes on to record the news broadcasts about the tragedy, makes scrapbooks out of the newspaper articles, and even goes and visits her mom, who is uh, in a home not far from where she lives, uh, about four blocks, I think it says in the book. But uh, her mom can't talk because she's had a stroke, so uh, Pearl just confesses the whole thing to her. Um... Not a wise move. Meanwhile, the cops and the coroner are stumped. They're bringing in the FBI because the governor's son was one of the casualties at the wedding. The CDC and the health department are being brought in because they think maybe it was some bad potato salad that killed everybody. Uh, But they still need help. So they recruit hard-boiled, semi-retired Detective Warren Elliott who is still recovering from being shotgun blasted in the guts by some psycho. Now, Elliot wants no part of this at first because he wants to take his toddler, whose name is Bumper, by the way. Who names a kid Bumper? Ugh. Anyway, um, he wants to go to Hawaii with his kid and his girlfriend, but he, of course, cannot resist a good case, especially with... You know, body counts this high. And this disease is super contagious. And of course, Pearl is not done. She is going to take out every man that ever done her wrong with her little spray bottle of the botulism. So she goes to Berkeley and spritzes down an all you can eat buffet uh, to myrtleize her old college professor. Then she kills just about all her co-workers at a dinner party while she's trying to take out her a-hole boss. And she's making all these big plans to go to Hawaii where she's uh, working up a scheme to exterminate all her former co-workers uh, at the first lab she ever worked out. And she's being just about the worst killer possible. I mean, she steals IDs and credit cards from people she works with. She rents cars and puts these credit cards down. She's flying all over the place, getting patted down by security at the airport. And while she's just littering the countryside with evidence, her mom is struggling to tell anybody who will listen that her daughter is the infamous Blackbird killer. So Elliot and the other cops, they finally narrow it down to Pearl. (laughs) Oh, surprise. And she pulls off a fast one. I don't really want to spoil that one for you. You should check it out. And she could have totally gotten away. But she decides to try and kill her mom with a Mickey Mega Hot Cocoa. She gets caught and boot scoots out of there. And by this time, she's just... Full tilt nuts. You know, she was fairly normal at the beginning of the book, but things just kind of hop aboard the crazy train. She's hearing voices, talking to herself, singing old Methodist hymns. You know, she's she's gone. So she decides, well, if I can't go free, I'm going to take the cops out too. So she goes to uh, Elliot's boat where his family are packing up and getting ready to get out of dodge. Uh, so she poisons the water supply, and we get a showdown in the galley of the boat, and our little birdie gets roasted. So what's the verdict? I think this one's pretty ducky. It takes some weird turns, uh, but it is a pretty tight little thriller. It comes in at a little bit over 300 pages, um, and the The typeset is tiny, so you got a lot of story uh, bundled into this little book. So definitely check this one out. Well, my water's getting chilly and my fingers are all pruney, so I'm gonna drain my water here. And I hope that you'll come hang out in the tub with me again for our next episode. Same bath time. Same bath channel.
7: This is Astro Radio Z and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes and want to become part of the show, Go to patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z and become a monthly subscriber to have access to not only over 100 plus bonus episodes of content, but a monthly bonus episode of Astro Radio Z and censored with Mark the Movie Man, where you, the listener, tell us what to cover on the show. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z.
8: is yeah.
9: one
2: another The fucking weirdo how do we even talk about this movie Jesus fucking Christ can you believe that the weirdo upon like researching this supposedly cost 50 grand to make this piece of shit
3: it does look like it Because it's definitely, it feels like a TV movie in a weird way. Watching again for this, I was like, oh, this feels like an 80s TV movie. Like some weird, depressing television channel that no one's ever heard of.
2: The Weirdo, a.k.a. Weirdo the Beginning. Folks, don't get excited. There's no sequel to The Weirdo. Uh, For some reason, Andy Milligan thought with all of these final movies, he was going to start making series Of each of these, like Vaughn had said, with fucking monstrosity at the very end, all of a sudden there's a title hit for monstrosity Two coming soon. Never happened. Uh, The weirdo, the beginning, the beginning of what? Because I'll tell you, the movie we're about to talk about gives no indication that there's any story after this movie's done.
4: I beg to (laughs) differ.
2: Oh, I can't wait to hear what you you think the, the the continuing fuck? tale of the weirdo is, but we'll come back. This was made in 1989, and it's the story of Donnie, played by Steve Burnington, who is possibly autistic. It's not really said, it just kind of he's showcased and treated as if he's just a little slower or on the spectrum. Yeah. He's a loner that gets beat up by, again, Milligan, for some reason, thinks all street punks are in their late to early, late 30s to early 40s.
3: What I always see with that scene is it always seems like they're going to rape him before they start beating him up because they're like, he's lying, like, they've kicked him to the ground and they're all just standing over him. You're like, oh, God, they're going to rape him. And then they beat him up some more. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Freaks, I don't know. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I've talked about this film now twice on podcasts. And I still think of that. I'm like, I completely forget that. Oh, they're just going to beat him up. It just feels like they're gonna, like, oh, what do we want to do with him now? And they're like just standing there, like the buffest dudes in the world who are street puffs. It's like, okay. The one thing you'll notice in this film, though, when you watch it, is that the this, the Andy didn't do everything. He only wrote and directed it. He didn't do the score when like he normally would, uh, or find some kind of weird film. The music this actually produced, you know, actually made a score. So that's where like most of the film probably the money probably went. Instead of making this this really obtuse score that's going on in the background i like the score i think it's pretty haunting no yeah no it works it's just i don't know what it's not in the right film i don't know
4: i think that as the movie um opens especially i mean they probably just repeat that one a few times but the music that they're playing while he's walking through the woods and picking up trash in the gully um i love that kind of music it reminds me of just what you were saying it reminds me of like Mid 80s, like after school special, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, music yeah. like you know, <clears throat> the old bridge to Terabithia or something,
2: <laughs> right, well, right? This whole movie feels kind of like an after school special type film, yeah. Uh, that, so of anything, this movie, if you're going to say anything positive about it, and as we're going to talk about this, listeners, you'll get the hint that there's not much positive to talk about with the weirdo. Um, the production quality of this film. There's really not much that exceeds it in Andy Milligan's filmography. It's competently shot. There's a great score. I I believe this actually had somebody score this film. It's edited well, and it moves. Even though it moves at a glacial pace, it still at all times feels like a competently made film. It doesn't feel like Andy Milligan's films where it's just cut up to all fucking living hell I mean monstrosity although it's fun feels like an absolute insane person edited that movie together it doesn't feel like a regular movie this movie easily could be played on fucking television on the Hallmark channel or on afternoons as an after school special even though there's nudity in this movie and weird voyeurism and decapitations now don't get excited You got to sit and slug through an hour and a half of movie to get to any of this shit. (laughs) But there are, there's some typical Milligan stuff that goes on. That's about all positive. I'm going to say about the fucking weirdo, but it's literally all this movie is, is the story of Donnie, this guy that lives in a fucking shed, like bubbles from fucking trailer park boys. He gets abused by a bunch of street toughs who like Vaughn said, It it keeps going on and on and on all of this abuse, and a lot of it seems very homoerotic because the bullies literally have his face by their crotch almost the entire time in all of these fucking scenes. Fucking Donnie, he lives with this older lady, the shack I had said, and there's this lady that's rooming with her who he sits and watches her take bubble baths. And then Donnie meets Jenny, this girl played by Jessica Strauss, who is um, hmm, a romantic interest of a local priest, which is a very odd sequence. Yep. And Donnie and her strike up a romance or a budding romance. Now, now Vaughn, as a Milligan now expert, having watched all this hearing you (laughs) How odd is it to see Milligan attempt to show a a budding romance story between a mentally challenged individual and a potential molestation victim?
3: Yeah, yeah. When you first meet those two characters, when you first when he first meets her, it's cute and it's all cute. They kinda of go around town, they're picking they're they're hanging out, they're doing little things. Like he is the little banana doll that he puts up to ear, but then and they eat they eat together and it's like, Oh, it's so cute. And like and like you find out deeper like what's going what's what else is there, and you're like, Ugh really? Like what the fuck? Like, come on, dude, seriously. Like you can't just like, like the whole thing about they can't just event, be regular ass
2: fucking people. They have to be so fucking. There's got to be some stupid egg exploitation angle thrown onto these people. Yeah.
4: Well, do Don, we find out that Donnie's a child of incest. Yeah, that's why he's um, like so off, and he's staying with his mother's sister.
3: Yep, um, and that's he why he lives in the. That's why he lives in that kind of like ramshackle part of the house. That isn't attached where he gets where she kind of i guess uses a bell attached to a rope to kind of to tell him to kind of yeah come up and help with something you know go to the post office or whatever and she she loves him for who he is whatever you know even though he is you know a problem there is something wrong with him
4: right but the but but the mo- the the general message of the movie is that this this kid's been obviously just abused He's his whole life neglected right and he basically everybody everybody that he kills deserves it
2: yes well yeah because eventually there's at one point in this movie donnie who's been beat up and denigrated his entire life and up until like three quarters of the way the movie snaps and then starts killing everybody
4: but not like – in he's not like going out to kill somebody. He's always like in an altercation and then somehow has like superhuman knife-wielding skills. <laughs> yes. Like he just – one one swing and beheads his, his mother. And then I think uh, – I like the one where he, he's in a fight with the punks and he cuts off one hand and then he cuts off the other just swinging the knife <laughs> –
3: Oh, he's uh, yeah, he's superhuman by the end of the film because of his rage. It makes him so crazy. But it's like, uh, no, like seriously, dude. <laughs> it's like it's bizarre. Well,
4: his mother was gonna sell him basically to. Uh, yeah, which what? Somebody that was gonna, you you almost like indentured service or something like that. Yep. She was gonna get fifteen hundred bucks for him, but he, you know, then he takes care of her and then. The guy comes to get him and he takes care of him.
3: So the bizarre part of this is that this film was made originally in 1970. Right. He made a version of the film in 1970 in Staten Island. And right. it ended up being unfinished or lost one or the other. I don't think I think it wasn't finished. It's was one of the like houses of Seven bells, um, which I think I would have loved to see it then because, you know, the, the kind of cavalcade of people he had working with him in the 70s would have probably made this film more enjoyable. The thing is, I don't mind the actors in this film, especially the women in this film, you know, the, his little girlfriend that he gets, um, she's actually really competent and actually good, a good actress. Um, like, you know, the guy who plays our main protagonist, um, he is supposed to play kind of spaced out and, Mm -hmm. you know, a little mental and he plays it properly. It just it's not a film you would expect from him.
2: It's very subdued,
3: even though we have all of these elements
2: of Milligan, you know, the incest and the the nudity and all this other stupid hijinks. It's a fairly subdued film when you just watch it.
3: Yeah, it's like it's a melodrama. But whoever wrote it got kicked in the head by a horse before they wrote the film. You know what I mean? It's so off the wall at times because it's like you just keep piling on things on top of this kid. Like everything that's happening to him, everything that's going to happen to him. You understand why the guy would freak out and go on a killing spree? <laughs> like, you know, you just have enough. But like well, a competent, but a competent director would do this properly. We wouldn't, we wouldn't stretch it out for what fucking seventy minutes, like, and then have the last twenty minutes be the killing. You know what I mean? He would, it would, it would be much more kind of layered and worked. And, I, and the other thing is, I feel that this film, he probably had a thing with the producers where it's like you have to make a ninety-minute movie. You know what I mean? And there's just long scenes of people just sitting talking, just long scenes of just like people hanging out and talking. And it's yeah. not something you want from him. You don't want a hangout film. You don't want people just sitting around talking because he doesn't know how to shoot that properly. You know? Oh,
2: like, boy. Oh, this is interesting that you say this, Fawn. What? Let's 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 roll this back a little bit. A few
3: episodes ago oh, where what?
2: the same thing happened in another movie called The Rats Are Coming. The werewolves are here.
3: That's oh, by the way, that film is coming out on Blu-ray through Severn Probably this year. We have to redo it again because it's the uncut version. What a waste of time. <laughs> what a waste of money and a waste of time. Come back. Uncut. Uncut yeah. version. There's like 35 minutes of extra footage of them talking for three hours. You know, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. I'm going to say big, I'm going to buy, big I'm thumbs going to down you, on that one. I'm buying you this box set and I'm going to mail it to your house.
2: <laughs> Good. I, I need something to put a, a vase on. Shut or... up. Vase.
3: <laughs> we'll put it on your mantelpiece and you will love it. How dare you? Well,
2: it's no. hilarious that, that that movie, which essentially kind of does a lot of the same shit that the weirdo does. How long is that movie, though? Works for you where oh, the rats are coming is an hour and a half. Oh, is it? It's no. actually longer than goddamn the weirdo.
3: Oh, I can't wait to see the uncut version. That means it's like over two hours then probably.
2: Uh, it's funny that this one doesn't work for you and you find this one boring, but the rats are coming. The werewolves are here, which is far more lethargic Far more exposition heavy, sticks around in just like three or four different rooms the entire fucking movie. That works for you, but the weirdo that actually goes to many different locations, (laughs) (laughs) has lots of different, has an actual score to it. Uh This
3: this is what doesn't work for you. This is like I I, I'm not a big fan of melodrama. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not like. I sit there and i watch that kind of stuff and I walk off where I kind of nod out after like 15 minutes. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is boring When like the rats are coming. It's like, Oh, it's goofiness. Okay, great. There's a guy in a room getting rats thrown at him by the director. Awesome. Like, let's continue watching this. I don't care if people sit around talking and pretending to knit while the grand while their father is trying to figure out how to f- <laughs> fix their were- werewolfism. It's like, okay, that film's fun. I have to agree. The weirdo
2: doesn't have any of the goofiness of, some of the other pieces of work that Milligan's done, but from a cinematic standpoint is so much stronger than the vast majority of the thing.
3: Oh, yeah. He actually he actually had a crew behind him. He actually had a crew behind him. He had a competent editor with him unlike normal films where it seems like he just did it by himself or like with like a monstrosity he had a bunch of young kids working with him which were probably scared of shitless of him like oh, I'm, I'm not going to that room with him. You know what I mean? And this film he actually has like a crew even though it says like there's another person working on makeup effects besides him there's like you know there's if you look at the imdb there's another person in that in that cast listing besides him as the cinematographer as the editor as the makeup guy and it's like holy shit it's like he actually he actually got a crew somebody actually said hey what'd you make oh i'll give you money let's go and uh, i don't know who the fuck did that that's insane but it's it's one of these films. It's one of these things where you're like, "Wow, this is this is actually, you know, competent," and it's shot it's shot properly. There's, I mean, there are some weird scenes where it's just two where they're sitting where clearly you can do it as a uh, a further away shot where it's the two you are two main characters, you know, him and his girlfriend talking, and it's a very close up shot, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> fucking <laughs> He's classic, <laughs> it's like it's like you're way too close to these people." It's like, "You're way too close to these people as they're talking. You can back out." A little bit, and then it cuts to a scene where they where it's where they're pretty much across the across the fucking aisle, like ten feet away from them shooting it. And it's like, what the fuck? It's like, oh, okay, Andy. All right, I, I, what am I? What am I? I like this. Movie. Yeah, I, I I I don't get why you guys are so
4: down on it.
2: Okay, so so explain what what works for you about the weirdo. So
4: I think maybe possibly the melodrama does work for me. I I was, I mean, it's true that it's a little slow, but it's not that slow. It's not as slow as some of those early uh, Andy Mill- Milligan movies felt. And mm-hmm. I, I I was interested in the pathos of uh, Donnie. And I thought it was, you know, interesting to think about the fact that, you know, everybody gets an altercation with him, And he's in the he's in the right, except for the fact that he mutilates them and kills them. So the question is, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they were right you know like they even though they're assholes maybe they were right about him being a danger um, yeah
2: they sniffed him out and
4: and um and the movie and it moves towards this uh, climax where basically the entire town goes out with like pitchforks and, and torches, just like in uh, it's you like know, Frankenstein. Frankenstein, another Frankenstein yeah. illusion. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. you know, they beat the, beat the shit out of them. And then I think towards your earlier point, if I'm, if, you know, risk. I guess this isn't really a spoiler. You're not moving towards anything. Uh, he didn't. He didn't make anything after this.
2: There's uh, nothing to really spoil <laughs> about this movie. Yeah. So, honest.
4: so basically, um, his girlfriend Jenny, who's the only one that that supported him and you know trusted in him and thought that that they could be good together. And you and you think possibly that might be true. Like if they could just get away, it's possible. And then, you know, she goes and finds where he was lying all bloodied and he's gone. And then, you know, like the, you know, all the, all the townspeople come up, where is he? Where is he? And and then she kind of like has a little smile and looks off to the side of the screen and goes off, you know, cause she knows that he likes hanging out in the gully. And so I think that that definitely could have opened up uh, to the further adventures of Donnie, you know, like what, what
2: happens now? Um, so this is like a Mickey and Mallory kind of thing <laughs> where they're going to go on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Like,
3: I, I, I don't know but that. There's a scene. There's a scene at the end of the film where there's a woman walking with her daughter and they walk across the dead body of, of Donnie. I don't know if she, he's still alive. I think it's just a whole kind of a, a machination with her that something had happened because, yeah. then all of a sudden she, she comes back with a cop and he's disappeared, you know, like his pants are still there or something like that or his clothes portion of his clothes, but they're all covered in blood. Mm. Well, there's no indication that I, I didn't think of
4: any other options. You know, I thought either, you know,
3: I I get what you're coming from because she definitely is like, Oh yeah. Like she definitely, she starts backing out and like running away from the cop, which makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Um, But clearly it's indicated that he's dead. Like That's he, what I Andy, thought. Andy, Andy, Andy initially Andy puts in that scene of the of the woman walking with her with her daughter in the woods and notices the body and deliberately runs away with the kid. So who knows? Maybe Andy was planning some kind of uh, zombie
4: metaphysical like crazy <laughs> like thing. And Donnie coming back to life or something. But I I was interested. Pretty much through the whole thing i i i, I liked the music i li- like all the things you guys most of what you guys said during this review was positive honestly
2: <laughs> well i gotta agree because of all his filmography this is the most competent film that he ever made i have to i mean other than carnage this this f- feels like a fucking film i think what's missing in this film if I mean, we're going to say anything about the director and his voice as a director is his mm-hmm. typical me- misanthropy and that voice that like really pointed angry voice Yeah, is not yep. really in this movie. There no. may be some weirdness with, you know, the some of the incest that's hinted towards and some of the weird shit that happens, but the characters actually kind of talk to each other normally there's not a lot of screaming
3: there's a it
2: is a fairly toothless affair
3: yeah maybe that's what i really don't like about the film <laughs> it feels like not like he's got his balls cut off but it feels like he was given a lot of things to do like, like in all the other films he has a lot of things to do so he really can't concentrate on the one thing that he's supposed to do which is being a director right in this film and this film, all he, ha- all he has is the concentration of being the director. You know what I mean? Like, all he has to do is direct the film. He wrote it. He directs it. This because he has, if you wants the end of that film, it is a good, like, three minutes of, you know, gaffer, you know, title maker. You know, it's it's an actual fucking cast and yeah, crew, crew list. Instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of the, a quick shot of the list of people who were in the film and their character names and then end. Right. You know what I mean? This film is at least a minute of end credits, and it's like, wow, okay, like he he didn't have the the you know the the ability to kind of run around like a screaming. Well, he probably was screaming like a madman while he's making the film, but he wasn't doing every goddamn thing. And that's the one thing I think that works with all the rest of the films is that it's clearly like this guy doing it. You know, maybe not for love, like the love of, of working, but. He's clearly doing every little thing in the film.
2: So that, that's you know? what gives it its voice is what you're saying.
3: Yes. And I feel, even though I think this is still typical fucking Andy because it is deranged. The story is kind of deranged. Um, but it just feels like he only had that one job and he, he maybe he wanted, maybe that's what he wanted to do. I don't, I don't remember Surgical that well and I can't wait to talk about it uh, on the next episode. But it feels like, yeah, it's like an, an attempt at an actual film. Like, this is going to get released to VHS. and But it's like, they're not the right kind of picture you want to release to VHS. It's like, okay, I'm I'm making all these weird kind of horror movies, and then all of a sudden I'm going to go to a melodrama, you know, in 1989. It's like, or 88, whatever the fuck it was.
2: Well, that's where okay. I, I think this was like a bid to make a TV movie. This was something that, you know, to try yeah. and get a, a, right. a more mass audience to watch this thing. My My main mm-hmm. problem with this is that, One, the story, you know where this is going to go, even though with the side tangents where with the mom and all this stuff, you knew plot wise where this was going to go the entire time. And because it doesn't kind of have the zaniness of some of which is weird to say with Milligan, because most of the zaniness is all in just how oddly idiotic the dialogue is in most of his films is it's just not present here. And it's kind of lifeless. Like the film for me, it just plods along and it's just kind of boring. There's nothing really, even with some of the stuff that happens with the, the violence and the sudden bouts of voyeurism and nudity that Donnie gets thrown into like the bathtub sequence with the roommate where he's just watching her take a, a fucking bubble bath and then steals bubbles. Yeah, <laughs> for no and then the, the whole I'm gonna massage this girl's boob in some rundown sh- shed mm-hmm. <laughs> sequence even with these sequences it's just it's, for me and I could see where Evan's coming from with this compared to yeah, some of I the other you. stuff mm-hmm. it just had no life in it and I kind of just was waiting for it to be done
3: yeah I can I, I see where you're coming from Evan I totally get it yeah I, I mean I can
4: also see that it was a little slow, a little dry, so <clears throat> I can see your point of view as well, but I just wouldn't you know, bring to bear all of the <laughs> animosity we have towards Milligan from all these other movies on this one. Towards mm-hmm. this one, film. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't, this well, isn't bad in... In the Milligan sense, this is this may be bad and just a boring sense. You know, like anybody. Just a
2: general film is just it just this is not something anyone's going to remember after they watch it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with that. And I think maybe some of what Vaughn and I are expressing is because at this point, this is the second time we've podcasted about this fucking movie. We've I've watched this thing three times and this is a one-time view movie If I've ever seen a one-time view movie No reason to rush out To go see The Weirdo
3: I've now changed my mind It's a classic It should be held in the highest esteems With, you know, stuff like The stuff that Fellini did Or whatever <laughs> You know, it's, it's just as it's great uh, I totally, now that You know, Derek's completely shitting on it I'm like, this is the best <laughs> thing ever I don't care
2: I <laughs> <What> an <laughs> asshole <laughs> <laughs>
3: like it out of spite well, well he's pulling a milligan that's
2: what he's doing right now yeah. so uh end of the day sounds like Evan kind of like this one out of the two movies tonight which one did you like better that's
4: that's really hard to compare I mean I would say <laughs> mon- monstrosity is a lot more fun so yeah you're gonna like that you know yeah way better than than the weirdo but I I just my thumb is still up for the weirdo
2: interesting interesting i gotta say of either of these two movies you can skip the weirdo i mean you can watch it it's just fine i mean if you really are a a milligan completionist go for it 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 has some interesting parts it's just kind of a ho-hum direct-to-video 80s kind of movie that's just has some of milligan's flair to it so i don't know i i I would skip it. it it was released on vhs through radon so if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with radon distribution you know the quality of movies they put out (laughs) which is really bad so if you're a fan of radon then sure pick up the weirdo everybody else yeah don't don't even fucking bother Mm -hmm. final words Vaughn
3: I would have been pissed I would have been I would have loved to seen the kid who his mom brought this home for him from like the VHS store. Oh, look here! It's a new horror movie, and he had to watch this. And it's just fuck, that's the worst thing ever, Mom. Uh, <laughs> like I'm not eating my macaroni and cheese now because you made me watch this crap. Um, no, but I, yeah, I, I it's definitely monstrosity for me. But it, it's definitely if you're if you're going to do the same thing we're doing, watching all these films from beginning to end, uh, it's definitely worth checking out because it's it's so bizarre. The guy would die, what, two years later, three years later? And it's like he seems like he has so much to live for. And he's trying things and he's going and he's actually making some headway. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this is a film where it's like, like I said, it was actually made by an actual production company. It wasn't just made by some producer who needed to make a quick film. And this film actually feels like it was made by a production company. It actually has a whole cast and crew and, you know, and it's competent. And it's, you know, it's like, okay. And then the next film he'll make is going back to the well. You know what I mean? It's just whatever the fuck he did to piss somebody off. And then he would be dead the next year after Sergei Kill* comes out. And it's just, you can, you can just see it. You can just feel it. Like, he's like, I got so much to do. I want to get so much done. And, you know, but yeah, definitely check both of them out. Monstrosity more than, than the weirdo, but, you know, definitely check them out. Honestly, they're probably the
4: best releases that Garage House has put out.
3: Yes,
2: they're. We are they are the best <laughs> yeah well admittedly uh not to dog search kill before we it even has a dog in the fight it has its own episode milligan got sick very shortly after this with aids and so his health was drastically on the decline after this film so mm-hmm. that could explain a lot <laughs> <laughs> of what is yeah. going on so that's it for tonight folks uh we're gonna take a short break and we come back uh we're going to sit and chill the ever-loving fuck out of you so stick around i'm sure you love that section of my show
0: the transmission is in your space you're not safe now or ever
9: Tomi was quite happy with her purchase. The captain had told her to wait until the next no moon to use it, though. And wait, she had. She had sat and stared at the crystal and its little prisoner for hours, captivated. The time was drawing near, though. The captain had told her that it would hurt, the sting. But she was not afraid. Hurt was not so bad. Humiliation, however... Somi wondered what Rella Green's face would look like when Rella got what was coming for her. She wondered if Rella would cry or scream. Somi hoped for both. (laughs) The scorpion is a deadly and wondrous creature, pretty Somi. It will grant you the power you seek. You think I am pretty? Sincerely? Yes and yes, little one. But I do not think I have enough. For one as pretty as you, little Somi, and one with a cause, I charge nothing. Surely you chape, Captain Marsh? Hardly ever, little one. And what do you mean, one with a cause? You are one. You have a cause. The cause of balance, retribution... Justification. A reckoning. You understand? Yes. Good. The time was drawing near indeed, for tonight was a no-moon night. Somi had snuck out of the house just before midnight and crept down to the river pool, as the captain had told her to do. The pool was like black glass in the moonless night gleaming low and dangerous. Somi walked to the edge of the water and took off her shoes. She shimmied her feet down into the sand, the way Captain Marsh had told her, and she pulled the crystal from her pocket. She stared into the crystal, studying the tiny creature inside. It was black and clawed, and it had a venomous stinging barb on the tip of its tail that struck like a viper, Captain Marsh had said. It was a monster, a tiny monster from some far-off land, and it possessed a power that it would impart upon those that asked it properly, gazing into the crystal, Somi made herself recall every moment of that day, every detail. Get her! The other children cheered while Rella Green stuffed rotten fish into Somi's dress. The fish was warm and slimy, and full of maggots, and awful. Occasionally, one of the fish fins would spike her skin, and it hurt. But hurt was not so bad. Rella and her friends had taken to calling Somi, Stinky Somi, after they realized her dad was a fishmonger. Half the children in school had a fishmonger for a father, or a fisherman, or a muzzle hunter, but not Rella Green. Rella's family lived on the hill with the other wealthy families. The Browns, the Whites, the Blacks, the Reds, the Bankers, the Masons, the Wheelers, the Wardens, the Sails, the Oaks, and last but never the least, the Hills. It did not bother Rella and her friends to eat the fish and clawfish and muzzles and eels that men like Somi's father harvested from the river. But it certainly bothered them to share a schoolroom with a fishmonger's daughter. It did not bother Rella and her friends that there is quite a distinct difference between a fisherman and a fishmonger. They were not concerned with politics. It did, however, seem to bother Rella and her friends quite a bit that Somi did not stink. A stinky fish daughter ought to stink, so Rella and her friends set out to rectify the situation. Somi had never been so infuriated, so violated. They held her down out on the street, and Rella stuffed the fish into her dress. Some smart one had let the fish rot somewhere for a few days before bringing it to the school in a bucket. Rella and her friends were savages, scooping handfuls of offal, writhing with maggots, whooping and hollering as they threw the stuff at Somi. Somi cried and screamed and begged for them to stop. But they would not. They were having too much fun. With her feet buried in the river sand, Somi stared into the crystal, tears falling from her eyes and burning down her cheeks. The crystal exploded, scattering into the dark river pool. Three of Somi's fingers flew away with the bits of shattered crystal, and the torn stumps that were left began to bleed down Somi's arm and into the sand around Somi's feet. The tiny creature within the crystal, the scorpion, had flown out during the explosion and landed on Somi's chest. Somi screamed and clutched at the little monster. What did I do wrong? What have I done? The tiny monster buried its barbed tail into Somi's chest and began to pour fire into her bones. The pain was so intense, she could not even scream. She clamped her teeth shut so hard that many of them shattered, and she spit them out in a bloody, grisly wad onto the sand. Heaving and groaning, she slumped forward onto her knees and tore at the creature on her chest. She may as well have tugged on her own arm. The thing would not move. Its barbed tail was now in Somi's chest, a full inch or more. She began to choke and cuff up mounds of burning blood from her lungs. Her back arched itself so hard that it snapped her spine. The skin along her spine split, then opened up and unfurled like a freshly born butterfly. Crying silent tears, Somi clawed her way to the edge of the river pool and gazed down at her reflection. Hurt was not so bad. Rella Green stepped over to her window. She had heard her name spoken after the three taps on the glass, and she wondered if it was Eno Wheeler back to see if he could steal another kiss in the night. If so, she would grant him his thievery, then call him a liar if he had the nerve to be a braggart about it. This was her normal course of action regarding the boys about town. Rella stepped over to the window, and what she saw there caused her to wet the floorboards underneath her. A twisted, bloody monstrosity hung outside her window, dangling from the roof by one of its lanky arms. It looked like a person turned inside out, then shaped into a spider, with the spine pulled out and curved up and over the shoulders, swaying like a hunting viper. A wicked, bony barb dripped poison at the end of the twisted spine. The creature was dangling itself from the roof with one of its arms, but with the other arm it was clutching a bucket full of rotten fish. The monster spoke.
0: Rella
9: Rella fell backward onto the floor, splitting her scalp where her head struck the floor. Her vision blurred. She heard the window shatter as the thing leapt through the glass and into her room. It landed with a heavy, wet thud and began to lurch towards her. Rella screamed. She screamed and she cried.
10: Deep Sunshine Brands, here to talk to you today about Mrs. Bailey's Butcher Blocks. Whether your butchering is commercial or residential, Mrs. Bailey's Butcher Blocks are built to suit your bloody needs. Made from dense southern oak trees, these blocks are tough enough to handle the heaviest of cleavers for those bigger jobs. Mrs. Bailey's butcher blocks are made to order at custom sizes and can be inscribed with any initials, sigils, symbols, or extra blood grooves at no added charge. Delivery and installation are discreet and included with purchase. Deep Sunshine Brands will deliver your Mrs. Bailey's butcher block to any location, whether it be your kitchen, your dark basement, a padlocked shed out back, an abandoned church, a secret ritual cave that connects to the sea or school cafeteria speak to one of the masked deep sunshine brands representatives at a macy's or woolworth's near you remember friends clean bones are the sign of a clean home
7: you are listening to astro radio z
2: One more fucking episode boys Yeah. can you fucking believe it I, I honestly didn't think we were ever going to reach the end of this I know I'm very tenacious with this fucking podcast when I start and set out to do something I want to fucking finish it but this was holy shit this has been more <laughs> than a year of our fucking life
3: well yeah you, you pulled the plug on it because you're like fuck I gotta continue this I'm done yeah and <laughs> we took off a long hiatus because Somebody had to go take a walk in the woods and he came back and look, he's like, we'll finish this. Let's get it done. No,
2: so. <laughs> I had to, man. I fucking had to Jesus Christ. This Milligan shit, dude, even though I've said I made a turnaround on it. Yeah. Having said that though, goddamn, Some of it is just fucking miserable to sit and watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, reading the book makes all of these films far more interesting. Yeah. Cause he is he was a certifiable madman. Mm-hmm. He liked to torment everyone around him. He was really into sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. Loved just torturing people, like literally torturing people,
3: right? And fucking with people's lives. Was a gay man who was was technically out, I guess, but still didn't particularly want to know want people to know that he was gay, which is just bizarre. Um, you know, like just crazy shit. You know, and very chaste, like he was very kind of like Presbyterian about the whole sex and everything like that. And like fucking mad, just the guy was a pure original. Like there was no there's nobody else like this guy. And it's sad that he's dead. Like, I mean, he'd probably be dead by now. But I mean, we could have got another 10 years out of him. That would have been great. Uh, I
2: don't know. From the sounds of that book, it sounded like he just went for broke with most things. And there was no like middle ground. With Andy Milligan. It was either full steam a fucking head or nothing.
3: Yeah. and which, uh, was, which would have been great if he was, if he was still alive in the nineties, especially like with everything coming back and all the, these, these kind of people refining things and stuff like that. Like, you know, Ed Wood wasn't really like admonished until 1980. It was like the year before he died, he was admonished. Right. With him, if he was still around, he's still alive. It would have been like, Hey, look, look at all this, just really odd trash. You know what I mean? Like, and it would just been people. It would have been a weird revival of him coming back. Maybe somebody'll will, will go dig up the the films from from the junkyard, like they did
2: with
4: that uh, video, that Atari game, ET.
3: Yeah, right. Jesus <laughs> fucking
2: Christ. Yeah, maybe the angry video game nerd will do a film. Will do a new movie based on him searching out Andy Milligan's f- lost films that were buried in the Nevada desert. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways we have listeners one last episode ahead of us and that no. final episode will be Surgical Kill* from 1989 Andy Milligan's last movie and not because it has any relation to this movie but only because as we had said on a previous episode it took us so long to find this fucking movie yep. 1972's The Man with Two Heads and
3: coincidentally that's his last British film too so Interesting. So weird that we're doing the last of two two segments. He was, you know, he mostly he mostly was kicked out of uh, England after this film. So just like Cali- just like New York, he came back and got kicked out of New York, and went to California. Uh, well, and man was like Godzilla just came into towns and destroyed shit and, <laughs> and kept walking. Just killing pigeons. Uh, yeah, right. Just killing
2: <laughs> pigeons left and right. So uh, look forward to that episode coming up soon. Listeners. This is the portion of the show where my guest shamelessly shill the fuck out of you, Vaughn. Go ahead and show.
3: Okay, so my name is Vaughn. Have you ever heard? Uh, I run a podcast named Motion Picture Massacre. It's a genre podcast. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with me and listen to that, it is motionpicturemassacre.wordpress.com. Um, our fearless leader here on this show, Derek, has a tendency to retweet odd shit, like he did today when he retweeted the episode we were. I had I dragged him on to be on. Um, And if you'd like to get in touch with me With any kind of social media The best way to do that on Twitter Instagram and Letterboxd Is MP Massacre So if you want to follow me and see the shit I'm watching And talking about go there and check it out
2: Evan I'm going to leave the final words Of the episode up to you Is there anything you'd like to tell my listeners Jesus Uh, (laughs) You don't like being put on the spot do you No
4: (laughs) Um, I guess just uh, at edg4 is my Twitter. If that if that's something you want to do, I, I don't.
2: I don't know. This is the greatest fucking pitch for a fucking social media account I've ever heard in my whole fucking life of it.
4: <laughs> well, I was getting a little scared because we were getting uh, we got a little notice by uh, Nicholas Nicholas uh, winding refin and I was like, oh man, I don't want to really like come out on the
2: on the social media stage you know being associated <laughs> with this garbage. i do remember you telling me a while back hey don't tag me in any of this stuff i i can't let people know that i'm doing yeah this.
4: don't tag me on you know family That's time on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: well listeners just to let you know i was contacted by a by nwr like a couple weeks ago about our submission for the (laughs) the house of seven bells so stay tuned for a future episode of arz to find out if they fucking just throw it in the trash well
3: well well, like i like i like 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 i just saw a couple weeks ago they posted we still have three months for that contest so you got plenty of time to enter if you really want to
2: (sighs) yeah it'd be hilarious if our shitty podcast
3: is what they get stuck win. with,
4: yeah, right? the only the only entrant.
3: <laughs> yeah. so- and, and did you mail in uh, Evan's kind of dissertation that he wrote? Um, did you mail that one in too? Just to, like here, this is a, this is a little more. One of my, one of the guys on the show is like, here, please read this. And then <laughs> we know who's going to win. We know who's going to win this book. His name is uh, Evan. Yeah.
2: No, I should. It seems how we still have time, I should take that and just make a short comic book out of it. <laughs>
3: that's
2: what should that's what should happen.
4: It's yeah, all right. it's ready. It's all All there. right.
2: <laughs> so stay tuned Astro Zombies to find out if Evan's script comic book gets chosen by nwr.com. <laughs> Until then, take it easy.
7: Thank you for listening to Astro Radio Z. Astro Radio Z 136 has been crudely reanimated from a badly decomposed gorilla, hosted, produced, mercilessly bullied, and edited by Derek Carey, Von Kuhlmeier, Evan Gould, Daniel Edenfield, Angelique Bone, and even Shelton. For more information, and to talk to the hosts online, join the All The Gimmicks Facebook group and or find us on twitter at astro radio z music played on this episode which we urge you to go purchase and support can be purchased through the supporting links provided in the show notes witchery the reaper corrosion of conformity goodbye windows terry funk we like to rock carcass corporal jigs or quandary if you would like to hear more than your regular releases of Astro Radio Z, go over to our Patreon page. For the low price of $1 a month, you will receive monthly bonus episodes and much more. Check out what we have to offer and join us for the ultimate ARZ experience at patreon.com forward slash Z. Enjoy the remaining moments of your mortal existence. Astro Zombies Astro Radio Z will return next month. From the bowels of hell to your blown out speakers.
10: Identify. We've had many cases in this department where a body has been found in pieces or decomposed, and we've been able to put things together. We had a head,
0: a upper part of the body, in a very badly decomposed state.